You guys are so kind. You're so kind. Hi, everybody. I want to bring to you a quote from one of my favorite theologians, Taylor Swift. She wrote a song. It doesn't map exactly onto the Old Testament, but it's a tale as old as time. Here's the words that she wrote. She says this, um, I have a dream where I get older, but just never... None of you were an arrowhead. You don't listen to the radio. I'm on an island. Am I the only Swifty in the house? All right. I have a dream where I get older but just never wiser. Midnights become my afternoons. When my depression works the graveyard shift, all of the people I've ghosted stand there in the room. Angsty, good writing. My goodness. Here's the chorus. You know it. Sing it along if you, if you got it. It's me. Hi. I'm the, you're really not supporting this the way I thought you would. Uh, at tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. Do, do, do. I can, I've had this in my head since I wrote that opening line on Tuesday, and it's been the earworm for me. You're welcome if it is for you, too. You're like, why are you talking Taylor Swift lyrics? Well, because, because of this. I want to bring this to the forefront today. You and I have always been, um, maybe, maybe always, uh, been told this narrative about yourself, especially living in America, being a part of a Western nation, an individualistic society, that you are the hero of your own story. That, that you can, that you're able, that with enough hard work, perseverance, blood, sweat, tears, and bootstrap pulling, you can conquer anything. All of us identify in some degree or another with Rocky, who goes through that training montage, runs up the steps, throws his hands in the air, and is like, yo, Adrian, we did it, right? Like, you're like, you're like the guy that wins in everything. The problem is, is that life has its moments, of, sure, of climbing the stairs and throwing your hands up, but also has moments of acting foolish and faithless, moments where we are not heroic. In fact, what we saw last week in Elijah's story, what we will see this week in Elijah's story, is that fear often causes us to become an anti-hero. Taylor's line, it must be, Exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. It's the perfect description of the wilderness seasons of life. When we get so down on ourselves that we can't see our way forward, we get exhausted. Everyone in the room, everybody watching online, I just want you to tune in real fast because I want you to hear this. Uh, you, you need to hear this. On the journey of life, all of us at one time or another will ask this question, where is God now? Every single one of us, none of us are immune from wandering through life asking the question, God, where are you? Our exhaustion in the wilderness seasons can, can cause us to assume that God is absent. And that's where today I want to pick up Elijah's story, the second act of his story found in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's just three verses that I have for you today. But, but let me catch you up here. Uh, Elijah's moved from hero to anti-hero. The quick recap in case you missed it. Elijah was on top of his game. He had won this great victory for God. And then the next thing that happened was the queen threatened his life because he was working against her. And all of a sudden, Elijah ran for his life, ducked and covered, 
fled the country. Fear caused him to forfeit his fight. He went from being on top of his game to being despondent for his life. We're looking at the part of his story today in the wilderness. By looking at Elijah, we get to ask the question, how do we find God when it feels like he's absent? I don't want us to look down on Elijah today. I want us to sympathize with Elijah. For, for all of us on this journey of faith, will one time or another ask the question, God, where are you? So um, with that as an intro, you guys all with me now? Okay, let's, let's jump in. Here's the three verses of his story. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, act two, right? Second time, touched him where he was sleeping, said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. I've got three headings for these very short verses that we just looked at. Three headings, each of them mark a wilderness moment for how God guides the anti-heroes among us. The first heading that I want to put in front of us for this story is just simply this. God provides a sobering provision, a sobering provision. This whole experience for Elijah has been humiliating, not sobering. Elijah is not thinking clearly which is technically what the word sober means, clear-headed, clear-minded, thinking clearly. He's in the fog of the fallout. He can't see beyond yesterday. And God gives him a provision, more than a provision, God gives him a person. He gives him an angel who helps him take the next step. This angel uh, tells him, hey, wake up, eat some more, because you got something ahead of you that you don't quite see yet, but it's coming. So take this bread, take this water, let it fuel you. Now I think one of the lessons that we see from Elijah is that one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is a friend to help you through the fog. That might've been a great spot for an amen. We're not that type of church. It's okay that you didn't. But I'll say it again. One of God's greatest gifts is a friend to help you through your fog. And you didn't amen the second time, so I'll say it again. Just want you to be really clear today. In case there was ever a question about one of God's greatest gifts, it's a friend to help you through the fog. <laughs> helpless, right? We're just a helpless group of people. I, I believe that. I, I know you believe that too. You don't need to say amen to believe that. I, I think that we all get it. Uh, I'm glad that God gives us friends who, who can see life more clearly at times than we see it. Because in the fog of the wilderness, when, when to use Taylor's language, when midnights become our afternoons, we need help to know when it's daytime and when it's nighttime. If you've ever been in such a wilderness in your life, such pain, such grief, that you were just so mixed upside down, God in those moments was giving you people and resources to help you make sense of what to do next when you didn't even know what to do. It's a gift from God. Uh, maybe for you, it was the mentor at work who could see your trajectory before you saw it and saw either an opportunity or a transition that you could make and, and positioned you, help you position yourself to be able to take that next step. Maybe it was the counselor who sat with you for your premarital counseling if you're married, 
Hopefully you went through some sort of premarital counseling. The reason you need that is because no one who's getting married sees the world clearly. You don't have to say amen to that. <laughs> Isn't it true that maybe you're the most idealistic in your life on the verge of going to the altar? It's an exciting time. It's a very wonderful time. But you needed a gift from God to help you see things ahead of you that maybe you couldn't see because you were in this euphoric fog. They helped you understand expectations. They gave you a path to walk forward when, when you were caught off guard by life's failures. Maybe it was the teacher you had in school who saw you preparing for a career path or a degree path that was obviously misaligned with your own personality. And they just had the boldness to call out and say, hey, maybe you do something else. And without their guidance, you actually today look back and say, I don't know where I would be without the help of this person. What I'm trying to show you, friends, is that maybe the sober words that you've heard in the fog moments of your life weren't just words from a friend, but were actually the guidance and the gift of God for you, giving you rations today for the journey tomorrow because he knows what you need. Elijah could have complained that God was absent. But you and I reading with an omniscient view of his situation, we see the real truth. Here's what I want us to see, is that God will put in front of you what you need for what's ahead of you. That God always puts in front of you what you need for what's ahead of you. What's ahead of you is a long journey, Elijah. So, I've put in front of you some food. This is what you need to be ready to go. You've got to a challenge ahead of you that you can't see, Elijah, but, but you're going to be strengthened by this. So, so take this and let's go. The angel is acting like uh, Elijah's nutritionist, maybe. Or better yet, maybe uh, Elijah was receiving from the angel his own personal performance coach getting him ready for game day. Um, like many of you, I've been entrenched in the Netflix series, The Quarterback which is all about Kansas City and nothing else. <laughs> if, you, if you've watched the series, The Quarterback, there's these other guys in there. We don't care about them. If you don't know what the series is, it's a, by some stroke of luck, these producers followed Patrick Mahomes around all last season with cameras, and it's like an NFL film style thing, and it's interviews with him the whole entire way of the se season. And I'm only through episode four, so don't spoil the ending for me. I don't know how it ends. <clears throat> If I pause longer, you'll laugh harder. Wait for it. <laughs> there it is. And um, here's, what, here's what happened. I was watching it the other day, and um, episode three is all about the training that these players get. And so Patrick Mahomes' personal uh, training, athletic trainer, is on the show showing all the workouts. And he does these bogus things, these really funny things. That, and and they, they cut to his, his trainer. And the trainer is talking to the camera. And he says something to the effect of, it's my job to make sure that his body is prepare, prepared for whatever hits he's going to take on game day. So my job is to put him in all of these unique situations that maybe he wouldn't get to on his own. So that when the moment comes, when the time comes for his body to have to move in a specific way, he'll have the strength in his muscles to be able to take the hit or deliver the pass. And I heard that. And I thought to myself, thank you, Netflix, for preaching my sermon for me on Sunday. Because that's what this angel is doing for Elijah. This angel comes to him 
And he tells him the hard truth. He says, you're not strong enough for what's ahead of you. So take what's here. Let it sustain you. Friends, if you're in the wilderness this morning, I hope, I hope you see that God sustains his people for whatever journey it is that they're about to go on. He's, he's got you. You don't have to be a pro athlete to get God's strength conditioning on your side. He's putting in front of you today what you need for what's ahead of you tomorrow. And what was ahead of Elijah was pretty epic. Elijah got up. He ate. He drank. Strengthened by, this is the, the, the small words in the Hebrew language that composes this are very important in this text. This is emphatic. Strengthened by that food, that second ration, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah's first provision was a sober provision, someone to come and tell him the hard truth. And his second situation, the second heading here in the wilderness for, for Elijah, the antihero today, is that he was sent by God on a wandering journey, 40 days and 40 nights. Um, I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed hiking for like, an hour. You know what I mean? Like, have, has anybody hiked recently where, like, it was just a beautiful hike? Some of our ladies got back from Colorado. This is actually footage from uh, one of uh, the ladies on our Colorado trip, the Rome trip this past week. This is where some of our Heartlanders were. Uh, really pretty. Wish I was there. Um, didn't see any bears. That feels like a good plan. And um, I could probably do this for an hour. There's a Heartlander who at this current moment is right now summiting Half Dome in Yosemite on his way to a 250-mile trail with his brother. It'll take him 16, 17 days to reach his end in the Sierra Nevadas. And um, he's got rations for seven days at a time. He's going to pick up food twice. I don't know about you, but anybody in the room up for a 17-day hike? A couple of you are crazy enough. How about 40 days with one meal? This is an epic wandering journey. And, and even the way that we talk about this, 40 days, 40 nights on one ration, it's the type of detail that can cause our eyes to gloss over and our minds to move this story into the realm of myth. Because if I can be honest for us, 40 days, 40 nights is such a trope in the Bible. Um, for Elijah, it, the significance of 40 days and 40 nights, maybe he was reminded of the 40 years that Israel wandered through the wilderness. They did this for 40 years. Maybe uh, uh, Elijah would have thought about the 40 days and 40 nights of rain that came across the earth for Noah and how Noah's uh, ark landed on day 40. M maybe he thought about the 40 days and 40 nights that Moses stayed on the mountain of God when God gave him the law of the covenant. See, in the Old Testament, 40 days and 40 nights has a divine importance to it. It is code for sure to tell us, the, the, the reader, the audience, that there's a merciful act of God that is about to take place. But before God's mercy is displayed, there's often a wandering journey that takes place. Now listen, just because... 40 days and 40 nights is in some ways a code or a trope, doesn't mean I believe any less 
that Elijah actually was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And people knew all about this, counted the days and recorded it down. I believe that Elijah was actually in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and here's the question. Um, what was his journey like? like? Like, how could we describe it? What was he doing? I, I, I want to put this up because he was doing this. He was walking around. Just walking. 40 days, 40 nights. He was circling. He was shuffling. He was searching even. You say, Dan, how do you know this? How do you know he wasn't like booking it and making phenomenal time? How do you know that he was just kind of meandering through the wilderness? Well, um, here's how. It's because the south of the Israel border to Mount Horeb, where he eventually ends, was a 13 days journey. Elijah had already run one day into the wilderness, so he had about 12 days journey left over. For him to make it to Mount Horeb would have just required he traveled for one-third of the time that he actually traveled. It tells me this, that Elijah was moving from mountain to mountain, searching for something, searching for someone. He wandered. It took him three times what it should have taken him to make this journey. 40 days, 40 nights. And I can't prove this, but I imagine that his internal dialogue was something like this. I imagine that Elijah, for 40 days and 40 nights, was probably thinking to himself, man, this is so dumb. Have you ever been in the wilderness moments? The really hard moments of life and one of the things that we think is, man, this is just dumb. This whole situation did not have to be like this. This is, this is dumb. I'm just walking, I'm walking, not seeing anything. There's, there's a bush, I've seen like a million of those. I don't see any people. And I, I think Elijah in his mind must have gone, why would God send his only prophet in Israel outside of Israel where there are no people? Like what good is this doing? I put this up there because I want you to feel the futility of his steps. I want you to feel with me the, the aimlessness of his soul. Where he's wondering, God, where are you? Day after day, step after step, slog of his feet. I think Elijah was looking for God. He, he got to the top of one mountain and he'd go, hey God, are you over here? And he'd be met with silence. And he'd go up to another mountain and he'd go, God, are you there? No reply. And I think eventually his questioning becomes less for God and more for himself. Step after step, day after day, I think he probably turned his focus inward and thought, Elijah, what are you even doing here in the wilderness anyway? Do you even have to be here? Can't you just leave? Can't you just go somewhere else? If she existed back then, Taylor's words would be floating over his mind. Sure is exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. 40 days, 40 nights, 
Elijah got lost in the ruts of the wilderness. And the brevity of the writing here, how quick this moment is. I mean, I just took a sound like seven minutes on what's only four words in the passage. The brevity of what's written here helps me understand and, and, and implies that in every step, Elijah was only met with silence from God and angst for himself. Doesn't this happen for us today too? Doesn't this type of wandering in your soul sometimes make you feel restless? You find your heart seeking this purpose and, and direction. The way that we talk about these moments of life actually like are fascinating to me. The words that we use tell on ourselves what these moments are like. We say things like, well, I'm just lacking direction right now. Um, sometimes if we've got a child and they're, they're just, you know, we use the term wayward or, or we use this word, they're lost. They're lost. We send them away to Europe so they can find themselves, right? Like, like if you're a parent and you're watching your kid grow and they have this identity crisis and, and they're, in the, they're just in the thick of it and you're just on the outside looking in, you go, they're just lacking direction right now. They just need a purpose. They're lost. They need to go find themselves. But ultimately, in these moments, what we're actually trying to find is not just direction or being found or finding ourselves, but we want to find God. Isn't it true for us? In the wilderness, what we're actually looking for is some deep connection to God. Some of us will wander for years lacking direction. We'll try experiences. We'll go from relationship to relationship. We'll try education. We'll travel. We'll, I, I saw people are taking more uh, trips to outer space now to try and understand who they are. Cool. They try and find evidence of an absent God and his meaning for us. People will try things like spirituality, like yoga. They'll try tarot readings. They'll find novel books that promise to unlock the secret of the universe. And, and it's all in a hope that God will unveil himself to them. These are the ways that we wander in our society today. But let me be really honest, really specific for you, for, for you and me. I don't think any of us actually consciously wander that way. I think our wanderings today is way more um, dangerous. It's way more uh, horrific if we can actually stop for a moment and look at the wanderings that we do in this life. Especially living in this county, I think there's a specific wandering that happens to each one of us that exists just in the, the ebbs and flows of our mindlessness in our life. I think wandering today looks like just going from event to event, from task to task, from entertainment to entertainment, from scroll to scroll without any thought towards God. Let me take you back to a time that you tried to flee from. April and May of 2020. Kristen and I were living um, in the, uh, the suburbs of Chicago in... Um, 2020 when the COVID thing happened and nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what to do. You kind of remember the chaos of this moment. All of us were sent home. We were working from home. It was like this whole, as a pastor, I was like, I don't have any people. Am I going to get fired? I don't have any people to lead right now. Like everybody's at their homes. So some of us went into overdrive and started working a lot harder, trying to like justify our existence until something happened when we all kind of settled in and I recognize there was about a 40-day span of time from April to May of 2020 
where I actually found enjoyment in my heart for where I was. I remember feeling like I finally could rest in God, that like he's brought us this far. We've got what we need. We're gonna be okay. I get to stay home with my kids. I get to go for long walks. I get to enjoy the slower pace of life that I've always pined for. And I remember May of 2020, preaching a sermon to my church saying, isn't this wonderful to rest in God? May we never go back to the frantic pace from which we've come. How was your last week? Just a couple years after the events. For me, it's been busier than ever. More frantic than ever. More stressed than ever. There's a moment where God was so close to me. Uh, Tom, sitting right there, I quoted you last service, and now that you're here, I gotta quote you again. And this isn't Tom's quote, but Tom's the one that told me about it. Tom, Tom has said, brought this quote to my mind. He said that the particular pace of life does a certain type of violence to our souls today. Right, that's kind of the quote. We all get that. What is that? That's a wandering of our hearts, searching in the wilderness for God to show himself to us. Elijah goes on going, where did God go? God, where are you now? For 40 days and 40 nights, he does this. And this is what I learned from this, is that God will let us wander for a long, long time. Does anybody know this is true? God will let us wander for a long, long time. I get the impression that Elijah could have made it to the mountain, but he was going from place to place, back and forth, searching. Maybe he was afraid of actually approaching God for fear of what he was going to say to him once he met him. Maybe Elijah did that thing like a, a young man showing up to take a, a girl out on a date and, and he shows up to the, the door of the house to, 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 to greet her and knows that on the other side of this door is going to be a dad. And so he raises his fist to knock on the door and before he does, he pauses and he steps back and he just rehearses in his mind, hi, 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 and gets the, gets the greeting down before he goes back and goes back up again and, and, and just needs another second because he's really nervous about the guy on the other side of the door. Maybe Elijah was terrified to actually come to the place where he knew God was gonna be. But no matter what, God is more patient than we are. God let Elijah wander in the wilderness three times longer than it was necessary. But God also sustained Elijah in the wilderness because God is so patient. God's the type of God who will let you wear yourself out searching. And Elijah wandered. He wandered looking for God. You see, there's a detail in the story that, that tells me this. Um, there's a detail in the next the next verse. So he, he went 40 days, 40 nights until he reached Horeb. And this is the other emphatic article in the Hebrew is this word right here, the. The writer of 1 Kings wants us to know that this is the mountain of God. It's not just a mountain where God was. This is Horeb. Another name for this mountain is actually in the Bible called Mount Sinai. This is the mountain where God met with Moses for 40 days and 40 nights and God shared with Moses all that he wanted for the people, all that God's plans were for the people, all that the promised land was going to look like for the people if they would just obey his words. 
This was the place where, where in Israel's history, God had been at work, where he had given them this word and his presence and his fiery display and given them tablets of stone to know that he was their God. He was really with them. He really cared about them, that he was actually present. This was his mountain. And Elijah goes looking for God in his mountain. He received a sobering provision for his wandering journey until he came into a certain mountain. That's the last header I want to put over this. A certain mountain. It's the place where God is. I um, can't prove this, but it makes a whole lot of sense to me. That Elijah probably set out in the wilderness on his journey. Looking for the place where he knew God had been once before. See, I think what... What we got to learn from, from all of this is that when you don't know where God is, go to the place where you think he will be. I'll say that one more time. It, when you don't know where God is, it's up to us to go to where you think God will be. Elijah goes to the mountain of God. Why? Because he knows this is where God is. The psalmist said, where is the Lord? He is on his holy hill. The psalmist wrote. Where is God? He's in his most high dwelling place. And Elijah doesn't rest until he's come to the mountain of God where he thinks God will be. And what's incredible to me is that he goes in, he, he finds a cave. He goes into the mountain. He lets God's presence envelop him. And for the first time in this act, we see Elijah finally be at a place where he stands still. For 40 days, he's wandered. For 40 days, he's been on his feet. For 40 days and 40 nights, he's moved and journeyed and been in the wilderness. And he came to the place where it was the mountain of God. And there, for the first time, he does what he should have done a long time ago. He lays down and he lets God speak to him. If you're um, restless today, wandering today, I want to encourage you that you, like Elijah, might have come here to this place. I'm specifically talking, if you're watching online, I'm specifically talking about Heartland, a church where God once maybe spoke to you directly. It's a place where you know that God is here. And maybe today you've come back to this, you know, mountain as it were to find God again. It's one of the incredible stories that I keep hearing time and time again through different people, and these are really fun stories for me, is the amount of people who have walked into this dark auditorium who were searching for God. They, they described that they didn't know God. Their marriage was on the rocks. They were spiritually depleted. Maybe they were even an enemy of God, antagonistic to God. But the word of God was so comforting to them and so loving to them. They were asking the question, God, are you here? And what you heard was, yes. And you ask the question, God, do you see? And what you heard from God was, yes. And you ask the question, God, do you know what I'm going through and where I'm going? And what you heard from God was, yes. And people will tell me things like, Dan, it was right over there that I found God. And I never say this to their face, but I'm going to say it to all of you facelessly. We all know that's wrong, right? Because um, 
God was never lost. Right? Taylor wins again. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. That I was so caught up in my yesterday that in my fear I lost sight of God. Despite his aid, I assumed his silence meant he was absent. But he was there the whole entire time. And it wasn't until I stopped wandering and went to where I knew he would be, where I heard his words come alive to me, that I recognized that it was my wandering heart that had to come back to him, not making him come back to me. If you're restless and you're seeking God, I want you to know you've come to the right place today. This is the right mountain to be at. Any church where God is preached is the right place, the place where God is at work And today that's in his church. His church where we take his word and we understand it for what it tells us about who he is. And we reorient our wandering lives back to his mark, not his wandering words back to our mark. And then there's this thing that happens in the story. This question comes. Once Elijah is finally sleeping, resting, finally still, God speaks for the first time directly to Elijah. And here's what he says. He goes, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's the middle of the night. Elijah is resting after his long journey. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah and asks him this question. What are you doing here? This is a funny question for me. Sometimes we use this question as like a, a, an element of surprise. Like, what are you doing here? You know, like, like when you see your teacher out at the grocery store and you don't realize they have a life, you know, when you're a little kid, you're like, what are you doing here? It's what two Baptists say to each other at a, a liquor store. <laughs> Hi, Baptists. I used to be you. I feel like I can say that. Sometimes it's a challenging word. You sit down with your boss, having a performance review. You're killing it. Your boss looks at you surprised, knowing you're talented, and says, what are you doing here? Like, what are you doing working with us? Like, you should be out on your own, doing your own. Like, like you've got what it is. That could be what this means, too. When God asks you a question in life that seems like he doesn't know the answer, We ought to always remember that he knows the answer. That God's questions are designed not to challenge us or to be surprised at us. God's asking this question the same exact way he asked the question of Adam in the Garden of Eden. He sinned and hid from God and then God walked in the garden and he asked this question. He said, Adam, where are you? This wasn't a question of his GPS location. God was asking him a question, Adam, where is your heart in relation to me now? God's questions are always designed to pull out and to draw out that which is frustrated in our heart, that which is broken in our heart, that which is dysfunctional in our heart, that which locates us away from God. When God asks Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
God is giving Elijah an incredible opportunity to say to God, I've been wandering for 40 days and 40 nights, and here's what I think about you. And what he says to God is incredible. It's so incredible. You're going to have to wait until next week when we finish up this story. So it's actually one of my favorite messages in the entire Bible I get to bring to you next week. Please come back to hear that. Today, here's what I want to leave you with. I, want to, I just want to ask this question from God to you. Not about Elijah. But what are you doing here? Like, here's the question. Why did you come to church today? Of all the things you could have been doing with your time, you know, the grass is getting longer and the weeds are growing and your, your kids want to play in the pool and you wanted to take that trip and, and there's all these distractions in your life. And yet something about the state of your heart has compelled you to go find God today. What are you doing here? Don't get me wrong, I'm glad that you're here. I just think sometimes church attendance can be part of the mindlessness of our life, the event to event, the week to week, that we can actually lose God in the doing of the right thing if we don't actually come to him with our whole heart. And I would hate for you to wander for decades inside God's church. I would hate for you to go week after week, month after month, year after year without ever telling God what's on your heart without ever locating yourself in your heart to God. What are you doing here today? Why are you here? Every week it's a privilege for me to hear the, 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 the highs and the lows of your lives. I know that there are people here, there was someone here this week who found out that they have an operation coming up on a brain tumor. They came today because they desperately need assurance that God sees them and knows them and loves them and friends, he does. And he needs a friend in the midst of his fog. And I met after the first service, some Heartlanders. I didn't know them. They've been around since almost the beginning of this church. They'd left this church for a while and they came back and they told me today, they said, we came back because we missed our people. And we knew that God had provided for us with his people. And I said, man, can you guys stick around for 11? Because that'll preach faster than my sermon. It's that God gives in the wilderness people. Are you here today because you need from God? Are you here today because in the past God has given to you in such a way where you can't help but give him back the best hours of your week, the first hours of your week so that you come to the mountain of God with joy and a song on your lips because he's been so good to you? That's the story of so many of you. Why are you here? And today, here's how we're gonna close the service. So we're just going to end with a, a short prayer. And we're the type of church that believes that because God created you, he knows your every thought and every, every word that's on your mind, that you don't need to come to me, a pastor, or go to a priest to be able to talk to God. That God wants to hear from you, that you can talk to God from anywhere, even from these seats, even right here. And I want to give you just a space to answer that question to God. Right here, right now, to say, God Here's why I'm here. I just want to give you a moment right now in the silence of this room, in the darkness of this moment, just to talk to God. God, I've come to this place today for this reason.
So God, we're seeking you. We're here because we trust in you. Please meet us this week with all that you are. Give us strength for this journey ahead, the journey we don't even see we need to take. See us safely to rest within all that you are. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You are so loved. We'll see you next week.